Hey everyone, before we get to today's episode, I had a few important announcements I wanted to share with you. First of all, if you are following our social media, you know that our very own Henry was unexpectedly hospitalized this summer after stomach pains and got diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And his medical bills have come back to be $33,000. And so if you are in a position to donate, um, there has been a GoFundMe set up. We love Henry. We would not be the same without him. You do not understand the joy I get from hearing his voice or seeing his face or even getting a text from him. He is the light and joy of so many of our lives. And so if you are able to support him with all of this that he is going through, please do so. The link for this is going to be in the show notes of today's episode. So please go there and show him some love. And with that, we'll head into the episode. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life on Side B. We're getting close to the end of our season. And I am here with two wonderful human beings, the amazing photographer, Mr. Anthony Esser, is here with (laughs) us. Hi, Josh. Hi. And the always pleasant, the tigger to my rabbit from Winnie the Pooh, Greg Coles is here with us today. Ah, oh, what a delight to be. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I feel like if we were Winnie the Pooh characters, I probably would be Rabbit, and you have the joy of Tigger, from what I can understand. <laughs> with hopefully a slightly more extensive uh, attention span. <laughs> probably. I'm so glad to have you both on here. This is great. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Yes. So for everyone listening today, we're going to be talking about prayer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this theme of thriving that we've been talking about all season. It has been a one interesting roller coaster talking about thriving as we talked about it through COVID and pandemics and racial justice issues and everything. And we have come here now to talk about prayer. Um, but before we get into that, I would love for each of you guys, just to, for anyone who's listening who hasn't heard of you guys or doesn't know you, can you each give uh, give just a little introduction to yourself and how you identify and that kind of thing? Uh, why don't you go ahead, Anthony? Yeah, thanks. Um, so as you said, I do, in fact, do photography and graphic design. Um, people can find that stuff at anthonyesser.com. But I also have worked for the Catholic Church for a number of years, studied catechetics um, at Franciscan University. Um, so I've worked in ministry doing high school um, religion, teaching, doing youth ministry. Um, and most recently, I was coordinator of parish evangelization for the Archdiocese of Washington. Uh, I recently just moved over to working for a disability advocacy agency as a residential manager which is awesome because i'm now getting my master's in clinical mental health so i love that i'm moving my career as well back into the helping profession that's so uh, cool my graduate degree yes yeah 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 so i'm really excited about that 
Um, so a lot of, uh, so that's kind of where I come from career wise. Um, obviously, since I've worked for the Catholic Church, I'm Roman Catholic. Um, I'm married to a wonderful lady, and um, we have a three-year-old daughter and a 10-month-old son, and um, we live in Southern Maryland, and I identify as bisexual. And in, in the past, I've maybe used uh, gay as like a shorthand and because of some maybe internalized body erasure issues and all that. Um, mm. I love one of the reasons I love your podcast is because the rich discussions around identity. And, um, that's always like such a, a highlight for me is how people, I remember I just listened to Lori's interview and she gave such a, um, a good explanation of her like intentional choice of how she describes her experience of sexuality. And for me, I think, you know, I carry some of the, baggage of um people using same-sex attracted to try to like define my experience for mm -hmm. me and and prescribe certain um, definitions but honestly i think like part of the reason i use bisexual is because it's just like descriptive which is also like important to me as someone who yeah. is both married and experiences same-sex attraction um it just is kind of like yeah these are like realities of my life and uh and this is what this is I also do like belonging to the LGBT family because the history of sexual minorities and um, and our continued uh, kind of fight for rights and space, both within the wider culture and within the church, is a very real thing and something that I identify with and have been learning from. And, and, um, and I found a lot of community with the LGBT community, both within the church and otherwise. So, um, so I, I kind of celebrate that that label as well. Um, certainly, you know, there's a lot of other things about me. I'm, you know, husband, father, beloved child of God, but bisexual is one of them. Absolutely. And I love that. And thank you so much for the words about the podcast. That's really good to know that people are catching on. You know, I, uh, we want to do here, you know, is show how so many of us who are, um, in this community are, it's so diverse and everyone is walking differently. And I love, the, uh, and I'm so glad to have you on here because we need more bisexuals in this conversation. <laughs> we really do. And so uh, I'm glad to have you on here. You are Thank awesome. You. Yeah, yeah, I'm so happy to be on here. I, I think as a bisexual person, I have experienced some of that like insecurity of taking part in, in, um, in the gay community in full force. But honestly, the more that I kind of like voice those insecurities or talk about my experience as a bisexual person, especially in the side B community, the more I'm really like welcomed. So, you know, thanks for being another person to express that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mr. Greg Coles, would you like to go ahead? Yeah, so my name's Greg. Uh, until about a year and a half ago, I could get away with just telling people that I was a PhD student in English, and that sort of like satisfactorily answered everyone's questions. They were like, oh, well, as long as we know you're doing that, we don't have any questions about anything else you're doing in your life. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, I finished my PhD, and so now I feel compelled to explain all the other things that I'm doing to make a living. Um, so I, uh, I work part-time uh, at, a, at a church, uh, 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 part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, little, little shout out that Josh and I have in common. Um, uh, I work part-time at a church uh, leading worship and coordinating the, the music ministry here. Um, 
I, until COVID, uh, was working part-time at a bakery making buttercream icing. My record is that I made uh, 301 pounds of icing once in a single day. Um, oh, my and God. Then- that is amazing. <laughs> that is so Thank you. icing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so I, I know me some icing, I like to think. Um, and uh, with, the, with the rest of my time, um, I mostly uh, write and speak and do freelance editing sorts of things. Uh, among other things, um, I uh, was the author of a book that came out a couple of years ago called Single Gay Christian, uh, the title of which leaves very little to the imagination and gives you some information about the other part of this introductory question. Uh, I do indeed identify as gay. I also identify as single and celibate and planning to stay that way, God willing, unless some great surprises come my way. Um, I think uh, the the choice to identify as gay for me uh, had a couple different components. Um, one was kind of like Anthony was saying earlier, uh, recognizing that there can be some baggage around the term same-sex attracted. I think I was highly aware of that baggage for other people and also aware of that baggage for myself. Um, and so in part, there was both a strategic choice to say, what's going to help me communicate to other people in a way that they will understand, mm-hmm. um, while simultaneously trying to think through, what does it look like for me to 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 claim my identity in Christ as someone who no longer believes that in order to be in Christ, I need to become straight. Um, Like, what does it look like to get away from the childhood narrative that says like, then shalt thou only experience uh, the sexual desire for the opposite sex um, and to accept like, hey, you know, in fact, here I am uh, holding the cards that I have been dealt vis-a-vis sexuality, seeking to follow Jesus. Let's figure out what to do about it. Uh, And for me, gay has always been the best word to describe that kind of attitude toward life and faith. Oh, yes, that great 11th commandment of thou shalt only have attractions to the opposite sex. I think that's found (laughs) in the book of Second Hesitations, probably. (laughs) That's where I always cite it to. So, yeah, I know it's somewhere there. So, (laughs) well, that's great. I'm again, I can't say it enough. So glad to have you guys on. Uh, Before we get into our main conversation, you know, I thought in honor of where we are recording this a few days before Halloween, good old Halloween day, probably one of the gayest holidays of the year. Truly. (laughs) And so because of that, I would love to ask you both, what do you feel has been your best Halloween costume in your life that you've ever done? My best Halloween costume. I mean, for for 14 years, I dressed as a straight guy. Does that count for anything? (laughs) But only on Halloween or just all year round? (laughs) It was was one of those costumes that I was so dedicated to that I just carried on on beyond Halloween. You know, kind of like a method acting kind of thing. I love it. I love it. I will take it. I will take that. I think the costume that comes to mind for me is like, Oh my gosh. Um, I, there's, there's a lot of talk in like side B world. One of our little hobbies I find is, is sharing childhood pictures, you know, cause we want to yes. talk about the glass closet. Right. But uh, there's a particular childhood picture of me just dressed as like a giant pumpkin. It's like just a little like 
orange hat with a green leaf on my head and just a big pumpkin around me. And I just look so over it and it's wonderful. It's just such a, such a great costume. My favorite, if you were to ask me my favorite costume right now, though, I would have to see, I, I just finished the new season of Shit's Creek and watched the documentary about oh, it. So good. And they, 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 um, in the documentary about the, the production, they referenced, they go to like an event that at this uh, gay club, that's like night of a thousand Moira's. And that's probably the Schitt's Creek family slash Moira Rose is probably my favorite costume right now. Oh my gosh. I need to see that. Absolutely. <laughs> I yes, haven't watched do. the documentary. It's so good. Just get ready to, we were crying tears. Oh, that fina- Greg, do you watch Schitt's Creek or no? Okay. So I started watching it somewhat recently because so many people talked about it. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I'm only in like season two. So Okay. Do me a favor and don't spoil the ending. I will not spoil anything, but oh my gosh, that ending. It had me in tears. I was not ready for it to end. I know. But you are in for a treat, Greg. And you are free <laughs> to text me any thoughts you have as you go along. <laughs> yeah, if I need to if I need to process, if I need like a like a book club to discuss, I'll let you know. Yes, please do. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, no, I... a companion podcast about Shits Creek inside B processing of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am a huge Halloween fan. I know there's diverse thoughts on Halloween and Christianity, so I always try to respect that. Um, but the sad part is I haven't actually never, I have not gotten to dress up in the last six years because I have been in Colombia every Halloween the last six years. And um, Christianity within Colombia has is much more against Halloween um, and working for a church. Uh, makes it a little bit more complicated. <laughs> and it's so funny because I had thought to myself, the pandemic's happening. All of the borders are closed. So I'll definitely be in the States this year for Halloween. And I was so excited. I was like thinking about my costume. I had gone on all of it. We got to the beginning of October and they said, guess what? The borders opened to Columbia. So we're going to go down for meetings and we'll be there through November. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? So all year, all year, we don't go to Columbia. And then the one time is during Halloween. <laughs> and so I don't get to use my costume. <laughs> Poor Josh. I'm very traumatized right now. But Why it's did fine. you prepare? <laughs> so I have been working for multiple years to dress up as if Ursula was a man. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, because wow. I love Ursula. Ursula was like my hero growing up, which I know sounds awful and probably means that my parents should have had me looked at as a child, but I loved Ursula as a child. And that was my, that was going to be my, not dressing up as Ursula, but dressing male version. Um, and yeah, not going to happen. So oh, we so will see fun. next year. And no, it'll, it'll happen. It'll one day. Well, we wait with, we wait with bated breath. Exactly. <laughs> Well, with that discussion behind the scenes, uh, with that discussion done, um, let's move into prayer. <laughs> prayer was one thing I wanted to include in this conversation of thriving. You know, how do we not simply survive, but thrive as side B Christians? And I really wanted to include prayer because I felt like prayer can be something that a lot of LGBT people have a love-hate relationship with because of sometimes how it's pressed on us. Um, 
in different ways. And I guess just to start the conversation, um, like how would you guys describe your prayer life? What part does prayer play in your spiritual life? Um, what is that like for you? Um, Greg, you want to start us off? Yeah. So I think, um, okay. So there's this, there's this verse, uh, in, in first Thessalonians chapter five, I think it's verse 17, uh, that says pray continually. And I remember seeing that verse as a child and being like, continually, that seems like an awful lot of time. And I was like, how do I, how do I, how do I fit in the time? You know, like, do I just need to like structure more time in my life for prayer? And I was like, at some point this gets impractical because it's like, well, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm eating dinner right now, but I should be praying, you know, like I'm trying to have a conversation with my mother, but I should be praying continually. And so, so it was sort of like a, like a point of distress for me. I was like, how do I pray all the time when there's also other things I need to be doing in my life? And, uh, then I, then I noticed that I had like, this ongoing internal dialogue running in my head at all times, you know, and, and so like, sort of like, you know, as things were going on in the world, there would be this little voice in my head being like, oh, Coles, you idiot, that was the wrong thing to say, you know, or I would step outside and be like, ah, oh, this weather is lovely. Um, and I realized that there was just sort of like this conversation that I was having with myself. Um, and, and suddenly it occurred to me, like, what would happen if I were to invite God into that ongoing dialogue um, mm -hmm. so that I wasn't just talking to myself about, you know, the, 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 the minutia and the passing moments of my life. Um, but I was actually inviting God into conversation about, about the moments of my day and about my thought life over time. Um, and so I think uh, that, that mentality has sort of persisted with me uh, not that I never take moments that are sort of specially set aside just to pray and do nothing else. Um, but that mentality of thinking of prayer as an ongoing conversation in which God is actually invited into the, the more ordinary moments of my life um, has, I think, been really helpful uh, in making prayer seem not like something sort of uh, esoteric and distant, but as something that belongs uh, in every aspect of my existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Anthony, what do you think? What are, yeah. what are you like for you? Well, I agree. I think those are some like great insights for me. I think, you know, when you asked me to to be on this particular podcast and and speak on prayer, I think there was a, a small part of me that was like, am I am I the expert on prayer? I mean, I I feel like I kind of envy people who have um, you know, or who I, I assume exist who have a very consistent and disciplined prayer life. You know, these are these people who like recommend you, you know, get up early and read scripture first thing in the morning and then pray a daily rosary every day and do it, especially as Catholics, we have all kinds of like things we like to do and do an examination of conscience at night. And, you know, but my reality is that I just kind of go through these seasons of being immersed in different types of prayer. And, you know, sometimes it can be, um, you know, a drier time, but but every day, you know, there there is a way I connect with God somehow in prayer. Um, as Greg was saying, you know, prayer is really just, you know, it's how I describe my relationship with God. And, you know, I'm going to go into later, like, you know, how, how I kind of came to that a little bit more. But, I mean, right now, you know, talking about my prayer life at the moment, you know, one of the things that I most enjoy at the moment is, is daily prayer with my family. You know, routine is like so important for kids and my wife is like amazing at keeping the routine going 
um, with the kids. And one of the things that we do is to pray with um, especially our daughter, but both our kids at, at nighttime. And I, I've grown to really love the like simple childlike prayer that we do with her that we do with them. Um, I, and I actually really personally engage in that time. You know, sometimes we sing, sometimes we, um, you know, we'll, we'll read from a prayer book, but we always express thanks um, in very simple ways and offer our intentions, you know, pray for friends and family. And, um, and I really love that. And prayer has also been, you know, that that's kind of like my grounding and, and, and I'll come back to that later too. But, but like, you know, prayer has also been a refuge for me. You know, if I can get away somewhere quiet or just be with God, um, you know, be with my Lord who like sees me fully and loves me unconditionally. I usually walk away really refreshed and, and finding some measure of peace. And so even when I'm in those drier times of not having like this rich, you know, consistent prayer life, I hunger for, you know, to, to kind of retreat to God. Um, and, you know, when I go to him and really am able to bear my soul, to be completely honest, you know, I can, I beg shamelessly for his help and, and I'm able to ask forgiveness without any shame and, and also to listen to him. Um, and that's really like the hardest thing to do is to have enough time in the right environment to really quiet my mind and, and hear his voice. But, you know, luckily we have, we have scripture and, and wisdom and, and comfort of, of our loved ones and mentors. Um, so yeah, lots, I, you know, I could go on for prayer for about prayer for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of connecting to what both of you have talked about, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have both of you on this on this podcast was because um, prayer is such an integral part, you know, obviously of our faith. Um, and many times related to our faith tradition within Christianity, it can take a very unique kind of way. And so Anthony, you being Catholic and Greg being Protestant, um, <clears throat> I was really um, interested to hear maybe how some of those different influences can play in your prayer life. And you started to talk about that, um, Anthony, and, and I would love if you could elaborate more on that, specifically as a Catholic, what are the ways of being Catholic that being Catholic has um, played a part in how your prayer life has developed? Yeah, for sure. Um, I love this. One of the things that I love about being a part of the side B community too, is I think there's such a rich uh, ecumenism there that like I've never seen in, in a lot of other faith communities. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm still not an expert on, on like Catholic Protestant relations or, or comparative theology or anything, but I, I think for me being Catholic is a huge blessing when it comes to prayer. Um, you know, I remember carrying around a few prayer books with me all the time in high school after I like really started to get into my faith more. And one time this classmate, um, who I guess obviously was, was uh, Protestant, was kind of looked at me and kind of pointedly, I think, was kind of speaking to me. You know, you know he said, you know, you don't really need those books to pray. And, um, and I said, you know, they were like um, liturgical, like Liturgy of the Hour books and things. And, and okay. I, like, of mm -hmm. course, I know that I don't need books to pray. But for me, like the liturgies of the church are so rich and beautiful. You know, really, they're just scriptural, you know, readings from scripture and reflections on those readings framed with chant and intercession. And, you know, and the church guides us into sacramental encounter with Christ, too. I feel like Roman Catholicism, pr probably behind Eastern, the Eastern Rite, that rites and Orthodox churches, really like reflects the incarnational reality of Christianity in its sacraments, images and rituals. Um, you know, I just I, I really enjoy and, and find 
a lot of comfort and in, 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 in that richness. I think one example like I, that I mentioned of Catholic prayer that I enjoy is the Liturgy of the Hours or the Divine Office. And um, this is really kind of like an outgrowth of uh, reading the reading and studying the Psalms, which is something that even Christ would have done, um, but that we we still do today, and priests are encouraged to do, but also lay people is praying um, the Psalms and other readings throughout um, throughout the hours of the day. And when I was in college, I was briefly in a group of uh, men discerning the priesthood. And we used to pray the office together in the morning and in the evening. And that was something that was really beautiful, that kind of united um, reflection on scripture that to me, like almost was like a foretaste of the unity in heaven of standing before the throne of God, praising him. And it was just, those were beautiful moments of prayer that I'll never forget. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Cause it's been interesting for me as a Protestant to, um, you know, it, being part of the um, Christian Missionary Alliance, I learned about uh, Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality very quickly, um, which is a book. Um, and he was very influenced by the daily office, you know, daily offices within the devotional of his curriculum on emotionally healthy spirituality. And it was really always interesting for me as I would use his devotional in my quiet time to learn about the daily office and, and these things and see how um, the beauty of that, you know, even as a, even as a Protestant learning about that. Um, yeah. Greg, how would you say pro- being a Protestant compared to Catholic or, or, or in this conversation of Protestant and Catholic, do you have thoughts to share? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, so when I was, so this summer um, when we were, when we were live streaming Revoice from St. Louis, um, uh, my uh, my friend Julia Sadusky and I, uh, who once the Revoice talks are online and you can go back and listen to them, you should listen to Dr. Sadusky's talk because it's glorious and she's just a beautiful human being. Um, oh, absolutely. She's been on here and I encourage everyone the exact same thing. Go go listen to her stuff. Uh, she's so she's so wonderful. Um, so anyway, I, I've uh, she she is also uh, Catholic. And, um, so on Sunday, we, we both had flights out of St. Louis at around the same time. Um, and so she asked me like, do you, do you want to go to mass with me? And so we went to the, the cathedral Basilica in St. Louis, um, Mm -hmm. which I'd never heard of before, but apparently is a, is a big deal. And it's like this, you know, this magnificent, massive building, um, that's just gorgeous. And I was, I was struck in that moment, um, uh, by I think some of the some of the stylistic differences um, between y- if you think of your stereotypical Protestant experience, especially like an evangelical Protestant, like a more low church kind of experience, as like we found a warehouse somewhere, we crammed a bunch of people in. You know, there's like light fixtures hanging awkwardly from the ceiling, we and it's like a let's bar get ready to or a strip club <laughs> near our church. <laughs> like, so so there there's this sort of like uh this sense of like aesthetic elevation or like uh aesthetic degradation as it were that that can be sort of a, a stereotypical tension between the two um and I think that aesthetic vision uh is is often accompanied by a vision of like the uh the the expression of of set apartness of distinctness of sort of like highness of tone or approach um, to a kind of 
a daily ordinary like, yeah, this is just sort of a banal like, you know, yeah, praying. It's kind of like chewing gum. You know, you just do it on the regs. Um, and, and I think um, it seems to me that we tend often in our hearts, at least I tend in my heart to want to gravitate toward one extreme or the other. And I think for me, personality wise, I have and I say this in some ways as like a slight against myself. I have sort of a Protestant personality, which mm -hmm. is to say I'm just like, ah, yeah, like no need to dress it up, like make it normal. Like I'm showing up to I'm showing up to Christmas dinner in like the jeans with the holes in them. You know, I don't give a crap. Um, and I think uh, I think it's it's really valuable for me um, to have an experience like I had uh, with Julia this summer um, to go and see an expression of faith. Uh, that is so much more focused on um, on the idea of set apartness, on on the elevation of God. Um, but it, I found it really healthy to pair that, like, yeah, God is elevated, God is high, God is God is far, um, with like, yes, and God is also near and close and simple and and you know, in my jeans with the holes in them. Um, and, and I find, and, and this is, you know, maybe, maybe this is me wanting to be like, I want to be like more Catholic than the Protestants, but I don't know if I'm Catholic enough to be Catholic. Um, <laughs> it seems to me that there's some value to be found in living in the tension between those things, yeah. um, in sort of repeatedly reminding ourselves like, Hey, if you've gotten too comfy, too sort of like cozy and buddy, buddy with God, um, you, you, <laughs> you may need an experience that that's a little more. Uh, a little more distinct. Uh, and on the other hand, like if you've gotten accustomed to just feeling like you have these separate sacred experiences and then you leave, um, maybe maybe you need a God who feels a little lower. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think there's I think there's wisdom to be found at times, at least in the, in the tension between those things, at least for those of us who, like me, have a tendency to find one end or the other of the lunatic fringe and be like, I'm going for it. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. I love you know something I love even speaking as like the Catholic person, but something that I love about you know my Protestant brothers and sisters um, is that you know, and this is like a stereotype that's thrown around, but you know, in my experience, I really found it to be true at least in like presentation from uh, lay people involved in 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 ministering and in, and in talking about the faith publicly is like your commitment to being scriptural. And I think that like I mentioned like the rituals of the church and the liturgy of the church being essentially like all constantly like saturated in scripture and the reflections on scripture. And, you know, the Catholic church is so immersed in scripture, but I think that like as participants in it, we can sometimes take that for granted because we're reading from the readings and all of our rituals are kind of like taken from scripture that, you know, and we have a different structure to the, the teaching and reception of like theology through the, the catechism and the magisterium and everything else that we don't spend as much time in scripture as some of our Protestant brothers and sisters. And honestly, that's edifying for me whenever I hear, you know, guests on your podcast, for example, um, you know, are constantly referencing scripture in, in how they relate to God or explain their relationship with God. And I find that um, very convicting. And it's, you know, so that's, you know, again, kind of Greg talks about that, like tension. And it's just another one of those tensions. It's a stereotype, but it's a stereotype based in truth. And it's something that I've found enriching when I'm, you know, seeing the example of my Protestant brothers and sisters. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there's so many ways, you know, 
it's been interesting for me, especially in the side B community to, I, I think I've learned more about Catholicism in the side B community than I ever have in, <laughs> in, in any other part of my life. Um, and it's been beautiful to see how, um, like my Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters and, and learning and how we can, we, in between Catholicism and Orthodoxy and, and, and Protestantism, there are things that uh, we can help each other keep in balance different things many times um, by being in conversation, by, by talking about so much. And, and, and I've had many experiences like, um, like Greg's where I, I became a Christian in a way where my first prayers to God were more anger prayers and probably did not say great things to him and um, saw God as very lowly and then was amazed by just the very high view of God that so many of um, my Christian brothers and sisters had in their traditions and going, wow, okay. I need to look at I need to look at God a little bit differently <laughs> for myself. Um, but but that's something like beautiful about prayer too, though is and you know even going back to the idea of like um, the example of of scripture, right? Like the Psalms gives us the prayer of like of David, you know, kind of crying out to the Lord and 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 the other you know writers of the. Uh, wisdom and, and poetry literature and the gospels, you know, is like every season of our life, you know, is, is, you know, we can relate to God and can be a prayer. You know, I think those moments when you're, when you're kind of raging to God and wrestling with him are just as rich moments of relating to God in prayer as mm -hmm. the, as the most kind of um, aesthetically, you know, or, or stoic or, or whatever people who are practicing all of these practices of prayer that, that we might kind of look up to. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, kind of moving a little bit in this, um, something else I wanted to get your guys' thoughts are on is there is there is a tendency in in our prayer lives as LGBT people to spend a period of our early prayer life trying to pray God for God not to make for us not to be gay, you know, the pray the gay away, um, and. In, as you got, as you guys um, grew grew up, um, did you ever have an experience like that where you tried to pray pray the gay away, as they say? Um, and how did it affect your prayer life when you realized God wasn't going to change your sexual orientation? Greg, what about you? Did you ever have one? I mean, certainly that was that was my mentality through the early years of realizing I was gay, which was probably like early puberty um, until, I don't think it was until after I finished college um, that I had like, like a good clear sort of sorting out with God and was like, okay, so, so this thing that I've been praying for all along, um, you're, to be clear, that's not your plan. You're you're not making me straight. And it was hard because I'd, I'd gotten accustomed to sort of measuring the quality of my spiritual life according to how straight I felt at any given time. Um, and so, so to have this sense that the thing that God needed to do in order to hear and answer my prayer, uh, which is to say, to some degree, the thing that I thought God needed to do in order to prove to me that he was good. Um, was the thing that it turned out he didn't seem to have any interest in doing. 
Um, and so I think that was, uh, it, it became a sort of a crisis point for me because I had to wrestle with this question of like, if, if prayer doesn't do the thing that I've been told it, it is supposed to do, right? I'm supposed to be able to pray to make myself straight. If it doesn't do the thing that I'm told it's supposed to do, and it doesn't do the thing that I am asking God to do with it, um, then like, what is it even good for? Um, and I think, uh, I, I remember there was a, there was a very significant, uh, moment for me in my prayer life when, uh, I had a, I had a conversation, uh, with a friend of mine named Nicole. Um, and she, uh, after I came out to her, she, she sort of said like, it, it sounds like you and God have some things that you maybe need to work through. And she was like, would it help if I came and sort of like facilitated that conversation between you and God? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll go for anything at this point. Um, so we were, we were sitting on a rock in the middle of the woods. Um, and, and, and she was like, is there anything that you need to pray, you know, ab about your, uh, your processing of, uh, all that time that you spent praying to God that he would make you straight? Um, like, is there anything that you want to say to God right now? Um, and, and, and I realized the thing I wanted to say was like, I'm kind of pissed, God, like, here's the thing I thought I was supposed to be doing. And like all this time, it's, it's like you were answering. Um, and, uh, and, and in that, in that conversation with God, um, then, uh, we just sort of left space for, for God to speak back, which I think is such an important part of prayer. And it's something that we don't do enough. I think too often our prayer life is characterized by like shooting a bunch of thoughts and words and ideas at God. Um, without without leaving the time and the space for him to to talk back um yeah but i remember that, that sitting sitting in that rock in the woods when i was like okay god like like here's here's my accusation is that i wasted a whole bunch of time um praying at you and and you just didn't care like you just didn't didn't love me enough um and 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 the response that that god gave after i left time for him to respond um was I, I didn't I didn't answer that prayer uh, in the way that you expected um, because I had something better for you than that um, that it wasn't actually a lack of love on God's part um, but it was an abundance of love on God's part uh, that I and my eagerness to deliver to God like here's what you must do was unable to to see and to experience. Um, and so I think that it transformed my prayer life so much because I went from thinking of prayer as a thing that I entered into knowing in advance what God must do, um, because that was the mentality I'd had all along. Like somebody told me, here's what God is going to do. And so I went to God and I was like, dear God, I've been told what you must do. Here it is. Please do it. Yours sincerely, Greg, yeah. you know, the end conversation over. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, like what if all along the greater point of prayer was for me to create the space for God to say, here's what I am going to do, Greg. Um, and so what if the prayer I needed to be praying was less like, dear God, here are my demands, and more along the lines of like, dear God, here am I, your willing servant. Uh, you know, like, give me a heads up if you want to provide specific clarity. Um, uh, I, mm -hmm. I think I think that, that shift um, at the time, it, it sort of felt like a death of the thing that I thought I needed from prayer. Um, but in retrospect, it's made my prayer life so much richer um, because I no longer, I no longer enter into prayer with the thought that I am better at agenda setting than God is. Mm, that's good.
That's good. Anthony, what about you? What was your experience like with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that shift is like that Greg describes is something, you know, that is similar to, to what I went through. I mean, you know, I, I probably prayed, uh, prayed, you know, I definitely prayed about that when I was younger. Um, you know, I think there were a lot, a lot of moments of just of just begging God, especially when I like came to a deeper sense of faith, you know, and really, um, you know, gave myself over to like his capacity to change my life. You know, I kind of just wanted things to be simpler, maybe um, to you know to to follow him without without distraction. Um, you know, and it's interesting because I mean. I, no one told me particularly like to, to, to pray the gay away or to, or to, you know, to do that. But I think that there, I've experienced at least in the church, these um, kind of received from people, these, this kind of like extrapolated theology um, that can make, you know, people who are sexual minorities feel like an abomination, right. That we like have to, you know, one thing I heard from somebody who I, who is actually still a very good friend and we were kind of, just talking through these things ourselves in a good conversation and and they were like well but if this is like disordered i mean don't you have to like pursue some sort of ordering some sort of as as you're pursuing holiness um you know and you know i think that's like the trouble that we get into sometimes it's one thing to have those conversations and and to to process those ideas but i i think that at least in my experience of like popular Catholicism, I'm not sure Christianity on the whole, but like we've gotten into this habit of like extrapolating these ideas. Like, well, if this is a sin or if this is, um, you know, quote disordered, then, then these other, all these other things must be true. You must have to like get away from this, you know, with a 10 foot pole. And, and we start just like making leaps in logic. And as a young person, you really internalize some of that thinking, even if it just comes from yourself and no one corrects it. Um, Mm-hmm. Or, or if it's something you hear from other people and you're just kind of like, oh, that must be right because I respect that mentor when in reality that like has nothing to do with the teachings of your church. Um, so, you know, I came to see that that kind of thing is a lie and that the Lord has a particular and beautiful story that he wrote for my personal salvation. And for some reason, it includes this particular experience of of sexuality. And I don't I don't think I like resented God for not taking it away. I think I always knew that, you know, he loved me unconditionally. Um, I think I, I just struggled with, with my own capacity to like cooperate with him. Um, and I think it's, you know, kind of the people of God that I, that I struggled with more who I was like, yeah. no, why is this that like, I can feel and sense and believe like God loves me unconditionally. But then there's like all these hoops that, that other people want me to jump through. So that kind of dissonance is, is hard because we experience God, you know, I mean, we're talking about prayer and kind of this experience of God in prayer. Um, but besides like communal prayer, we also just experience God through the people around us and particularly through the church. And so it can be really hard, you know, people want to like shrug that off sometimes like, well, it's just other people and it's not the Lord. And, but we experience the Lord and in, you know, through other people. And we look for him, especially like as young people um, in, in parents and in people that we trust. And so it's really tough when, when there are these like competing um, ideas and theologies and we bring that into our prayer. But um, yeah, I, I think I went through that similar shift though, where it became more about how do I take, you know, I don't even want to say the, the struggle, you know, certainly there's struggles with, 
with um with maybe like lust or desire or whatever but just how do i take this experience and all of everything that comes with it and um and put it you know under the blessing of the lord or as as henry nowen would say or or to you know bring it to the to the foot of the cross and and ask ask christ like what does this mean for my story you know how do i live this out um alongside you yeah yeah, that's good. This has been something that um, I've thought about a lot as as someone who kind of grew up in the XK narrative um, and world, and and went through conversion therapy and stuff. And and you know, for me, um, it it really did a it really did a number on my prayer life to where I didn't know how to pray and what where how this all fit together for a long time, especially being in a tradition of, in a denomination, which um, I kind of call Baptocostal in many ways and um, kind of, you know, focuses in some, in some ways, especially here in Latin America on, on miracles and then having to explain to people, you know, especially when I was younger of, of, why I believe in miracles, but I don't believe God's going to do this, you know, and how to live in that tension. Um, and it, it took me a while to get to a place of acceptance of knowing of, of just realizing like this is, this is not just something that God's saying no to. I don't even think it's what God wants to do. Mm. I think he has something greater to do in my life. Mm then just simply make me straight. You know, there's something a lot bigger going on. And um, I I think for me, it was a very, it was, it was a process. And I would say it's still even a process because even in the last, you know, I just got off of a road trip and saw multiple people from my, from my ex-gay days as, as a kid um, reliving some of those kind of moments and the effects that that narrative had on my life uh, and the trauma that was developed from it um, and having to learn how to take that before God, um, realizing that for so long as a kid, you know, from 10 years old on, um, prayer was always where I was trying to become straight. <laughs> And now going to God saying, God, now I need you to process with me the trauma that has come developed from that period. Um, it, it's a process to work through that, especially for those of us who who um, went through kind of the ex-gay world. Um, kind of turning with that, as you, how would you guys say prayer has helped you and supported you in your walk as you know, um, LGBT Christian, um, what has that been like for you as coming to terms, you know, with your sexuality and now going on in your faith, how has prayer supported you in that? I think for me, uh, in, in seeing prayer as, uh, as a conversation where God eagerly desires to inhabit and participate in the, the moments of my life, um it's it's been really helpful uh to to think about to think about god as as somebody who i don't need to i don't need to come out to and i don't i don't need to i don't need to hold my sexuality as a thing that like oh dear like 
And then the Lord found out about it. You know, I, I never had to come out to God because he has uh, he's he's always known. He's always been very aware of what's going on in the realm of my sexuality. And so I think because of that, um, when I was, for instance, in the in the midst of coming out to other people uh, and and feeling like every time I came out, it was like another round of Russian roulette. Like I would spin the chamber of the revolver and be like, let's see if this relationship survives, um, which, you know, some did and some did not. Um, there there was a kind of comfort in recognizing uh, that I, I never had to come out to God. Um, because he was he was always present um and my yeah my experience of sexuality didn't make him any less present with me um i think being able to share with him uh things that i sometimes felt like i couldn't share with anybody else um you know it's kind of like having the the best the best counselor or friend in the world uh on hand with you um, which granted at times, you know, you sort of wish that that best counselor or friend had like a corporeal form that you could grab onto. Um, like sometimes, sometimes you need, you need to encounter Jesus in other people. You can't just abstractly be like, Jesus is here in the oxygen. Um, so, uh, so there was, there was real value in, uh, in interacting with, uh, siblings in Christ, um, who could, who could embody that for me. Um, but I think recognizing uh, that I wasn't waiting for any one sibling in Christ to respond to me in a certain kind of way. I didn't need somebody else to tell me that I was loved in order to be loved, um, that, that my worth wasn't uh, dependent on whether or not I happened to win each game of coming out Russian roulette, um, but that those things, those things were already were already there that those were already things that I was secure in in Christ um and I think I think prayer for me was a was a place where um where that could be continually reinforced where I could be continually reminded uh that even even apart from how I'm perceived from the outside like this is this is who God is in my life it's kind of yeah you know I think that um as I'm kind of listening, I've listened to some of the last comments that both of you have made. I am thinking about, you know, I'm still in my training as a clinical mental health counselor, but I also have maybe expert number of years of experience of counseling under my belt personally. And, um, and you know, kind of having, having studied uh, uh, counseling and family counseling, different things, um, both, both professionally and nerding out with my, with my personal counselor at times. Something that's interesting is this idea of like attachment theory, and um, and 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 I think if we're looking at prayer as like this, our relationship with God, you know, I kind of my mind is drifting back to to Josh. You're kind of talking about how your experience with like the ex gay world affected your um, your prayer and your really your relationship with God, and it makes me yeah. think of you know kind of like the divorced parents who you know, one parent is, is, is like resentful and kind of like poisons the well, you know, we use that term, right. To mm -hmm. kind of makes the relationship between the child and the, and the other parent, um, you know, to kind of toxic or more difficult. And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of like what can happen. And, you know, not that I want to speak to your experience, but I mean, I, I certainly have experienced some level of this too, is, 
you know, when, yeah. when people, especially in the church, um, you know, harm our sense of theology and, and our sense of God, it, you know, it kind of poisons the well with, with the Lord. And that's such a tragedy. It really like robs us of something that's really important, you know, because we are children of God and because we desire and yearn and absolutely need um, a, a secure attachment to our heavenly father. And I think that's kind of what, um, what Greg is describing, you know, just as, as in, you know, our earthly relationships, when we have secure attachments, when we're not, you know, anxious about how someone is going to react, you know, when we, when we come out to them, if we lean on them for, um, for some kind of spiritual support, if they're going to be, if they're going to be solid foundation, you know, we're, we're not sure that's kind of like what in, you know, if you have someone like that in, in your life relationally, we call that kind of like an insecure attachment, but with the Lord, you know, if we're able to overcome some, you know, some of those unfortunate roadblocks and, and develop that accurate, um, sense of God as all loving and all powerful and, and, you know, of, of unconditional, the unconditional love that God has for us. Um, there is such a secure attachment there that, that is, there's freedom in that, you know, that, that we don't have to wonder, um, if we're loved, if we're worthy, you know, all of these kind of like core questions that we have about ourselves. And we look to other humans who are always so, um, you know, imperfect because they're wounded themselves and, and seeking healing themselves and, and God can work through them. But at the end of the day, the final answer on those questions always comes through him. And that's why in all that we do going to prayer is, is this great comfort because, um, you know, he wants us to live in, in truth. And at the end of the day, the world, though it can show us, you know, the glimpses of truth is, is confused, you know, and, and broken. But when we go to him in prayer, we kind of go, we hit directly at the heart of that truth of, of who we are as his children. Um, so I've, I definitely relate to that, that too, that comfort of, of being with God in prayer. And, and you know, even in times when, um, you know, there was a quote, I don't remember who they attributed it to, but, but Laura uses it in her, in her new book and, uh, uh, impossible marriage. And she read, she's talking about like the person who, um, you know, the sinner compares the sinner to the person who reaches for fast food when they're hungry is still like connected to God because they're in touch with their, at least they're in touch with their hunger. Right. So even in, even in the times when I've been, you know, kind of had a drier prayer life or not as faithful to, to commitments of particular commitments of prayer, you know, I, I've always in touch with that hunger, just like that, that pang of missing a, a good friend or family member that you've put off talking to for one reason or another. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of, of grace and, and healing and, and coming back to the Lord as that Father who loves us no matter what. That's so good. I had never thought about applying attachment, you know, styles theory to prayer. But, it, it you know, if we're talking about a relationship with God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it would apply, you know, if we see... Um, um, if we see God in that way um, and we connect with him in that way, then like if, how we connect with other people is going to influence that. So I had, I had never thought about that. Yeah. 
my um my journey with prayer has been an interesting one um and like i said you know obviously having to work through the ex-gay narrative and then it was interesting coming to columbia um as i really began my walk of committing to celibacy and and all of this and beginning to work for a church and seeing the prayer life of people here as in latin america and getting a non-American perspective on prayer as I as I was here, um, and it was interesting because prayer had always been before to me something that hey you know you do and 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 it's there and it's talking with God, um, and it was interesting to come here to you know my the church that I work with here is is not the <laughs> richest church ever, <laughs> um, especially in Latin American terms and. Um, seeing people who I, I would talk to people about the American versus Latin American understanding of prayer. And I love what one person told me was said, you know, you guys in the United States, when you need something, you just go to the grocery store. You just go to a pharmacy. And then sometimes that's true here. But then there's people here who have experienced where you have a headache and you don't have medication. So your your only option is prayer. Your only option in certain situations is prayer because there is nothing else. And seeing the relationship that that has developed in people that now live in a developed country, but who have lived through awful civil wars, um, through awful situations, and to see this dependency on God that has developed that even now when they can go to a grocery store or they can go to a drugstore for medication, that dependence is still there and they're going to think of prayer before they think of anything else. Um, and it helped in my life to develop, I still haven't done it perfectly, <laughs> but um, I mean, obviously, but I'm still not even to the level of, of my church here because of never having lived through the, those periods. But um, for me, it was like, Allowing periods, for instance, when I left my when I left my former boyfriend in order to pursue celibacy, when in those moments when I've desired to pursue a relationship with someone but said no because of my convictions, and allowing God to be there in the midst of it, um, has been some of the moments that have that God has been the realest to me. And it has been some of the most healing moments. And those have been some of the most raw moments, kind of like you were talking about, you know, Anthony before about, you know, those moments. Well, I like how we were all talking about having that high view of God, but then also having those raw moments with God where we just go before him with our emotions and with our anger and with whatever we're feeling. And we just allow God to be in the pit with us in those moments um, can be some of the most healing and developing situations it has in my life um, to know now that when, um, when I am hurting, when I am lonely um, during the pandemic has, was some of those, those biggest times of allowing God to be in the midst of that. And it won't look pretty and God's seen me at my worst. <laughs> um, but for me, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how, how we allow God in, in those unedited raw moments of our lives, how that can help develop our relationship with him as a whole, 
even outside of those moments. Um, yeah. To close, and I mean, obviously, if you guys have any more thoughts about that, but um, I, I wish we could go on forever, <laughs> but, you know, um, I, we can't have a five-hour podcast episode, sadly. Um, <laughs> what would you, what advice would you have for um, for people listening, for other type Christians who are wanting to improve their prayer life? What what advice would you have to people? There was a summer. So when I was growing up, I grew up in Indonesia. And once every three years, we would come back to the States and travel to a whole bunch of different churches. And my dad would preach the same sermon at all of these different churches. So I would hear a single sermon for like an entire summer oh my until gosh. I could quote most of it verbatim. And this one summer we were we were in America and... Uh, the sermon he was giving was on prayer and like the tagline, the, the, the most memorable part of it. So he said it multiple times during the same sermon that I then heard like 20 times um, was uh, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth talking to God about. And I remember the first couple times he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Nice, nice sermon sentiment. You know, it's tweetable. This was before Twitter. But like <laughs> we still had like those, you know, those punchy lines, you know, uh -huh. it was tweetable before before it was tweetable. Um, so so at first I was like, OK, that's nice. If it's worth thinking about, it's worth talking to God about. Um, but as I, you know, as I began to think about it more and internalize it. And again, I had all summer to ponder it. Um, uh, it really started to challenge um, both both ends of that equation for me, because on the one hand, I started to think, well, there's some stuff that I think about that really doesn't seem worth talking to God about. And then I had to stop and ask, like, is that thing actually worth thinking about in that case? Or am I investing a lot of my thought life in things that really are not a great use of my thought life? But I'm only, I only feel I, I have only noticed that because I suddenly realized I'm not sure I want to talk to God about that because it seems like a waste of both of our times to have that conversation. So I started to wonder, like, maybe my thought life includes some things that I don't even need to be thinking about to begin with. But then on the other end of the equation, there were things that I thought, like, well, do I want to talk to God about that? And I started to realize, and, and this gets back, I think, to to what Josh was just saying and, and what Anthony has said. And, you know, stuff that we've been talking about um, already, uh, the idea that there are things that even though we might feel uncomfortable talking to God about them, you know, the, the moments that we're angry, especially angry with God, um, the, the moments that we're fearful, the moments that we feel most ashamed, um, there are things that we maybe instinctively don't want to talk with God about. Uh, and yet if we do indeed need to think about them, if it's in fact necessary that we process them in some fashion, there's no better way to do that than by inviting God into that conversation, by making him part of it. Um, and so I think, yeah, if, if, there's one, if there's one sort of piece of wisdom, one kind of heuristic that I can leave with you as you think about prayer life, uh, it would be that tweetable moment from my dad um, that if it's worth thinking about, then it's worth talking to God about. Um, and maybe that needs to both shave off some of the things that we're thinking about that aren't terribly worthwhile. Um, but maybe it also needs to expand what we think is the rightful, uh, the rightful uh, set of things that fit into our prayer life, that maybe there's actually more stuff that belongs in our prayer life than we have yet dared to imagine. That's good.
That's good. That'll preach. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Anthony, yeah, what about you? Um, so I mentioned earlier that that I kind of like envy people who have this consistent, robust prayer life. And I, I, you know, at one time I said something similar to a nutritionist I, I went to see about people who have this consistently healthy diet, you know, the people who can eat the same healthy breakfast day after day and maintain the same exercise habits for years. And, um, and, you know, she kind of corrected me. She said, it's perfectly healthy to switch things up, to have, you know, to have other things in your belt, to have variety in our diet. Right. And I think prayer is the same way, you know, God knows each one of us, our hearts and our habits, you know, I don't think he's bothered by those of us who are fickle and inconsistent. Um, and I think, in fact, I've really loved discovering new ways to relate to God, to hear his voice, to retreat with him. You know, when I've fallen into excessive busyness for too long and I finally find him again, and kind of like a big, um, you know, a big cavern within the like claustrophobia of like modern life and uh, and just being able to rest with him in prayer. And I think it's important that, you know, as we've kind of talked about, I think Greg especially talked a lot about is that we're just always going to the Lord and thinking of him when we make decisions, when we're in need and when we're celebrating. Um, you know, prayer is a balance. We have to, in one sense, it's like our human relationships like we've talked about, and we have to carve out time to, to foster that relationship, to be with the Lord, um, to share our heart and listen to his word. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, um, as we've also talked about, God is always there. You know, he's not just a friend. He's not just a human relationship. He's the Lord of our life. Um, you know, I had a, I had a priest in confession one time, you know, kind of say to me in this like hushed tone, he was like, no, go, don't go telling everyone this, but you're even praying when you're on the toilet. And he was kind of just trying to like express that, like, <laughs> express that sentiment though, that, like God is always with us in every area of our life at every moment of the day, um, which is hysterical to think about, but, um, but, but true, true nonetheless, um, you know, and I would, I think I would tell people too, who like have had these difficult experiences, who feel maybe some kind of block with prayer, you know, that, that, um, you know, God has, has made you beautifully and has an amazing plan for your life and is, and is waiting for you. Um, and, and I just pray that, mm -hmm. that they find that healing. Um, and finally, just a, you know, a couple of practical points, you know, I, I would encourage people to build, um, at least some small daily practice of prayer. You know, I kind of mentioned that even in my fickleness, we have a good habit of family prayer every day, you know, even as small ways we put our kids to bed. And, you know, whatever that small daily practice is, whether it's with a, you know, a housemate or just a, a prayer card you have by your bed that, that you can go to, that's just something you do before you go to bed. And then it maybe reminds you to, to thank God for the day or, or do a little examine, um, you know, examination of your day that that little habit will serve as a safety net when other aspects of your prayer life might might fall apart. Um, and also find mm. ways to connect with God that delight you, you know, whether that's worship music or time out in creation, reading scripture or other spiritual writing, you know, faith sharing with other people in like a small group, find something that suits your personality so that you like can't wait for that appointment with God because it's something that, you know, really just like enlivens your and inflames your heart and make sure you're sharing your heart with God and taking time to listen. You know, those things can be, sometimes we think of prayer as like one or the other, right? Even if you're, you know, if you're reading a lot and, and listening for his, for the Lord's voice and scripture or spiritual reading, make sure you stop and and share with god how you feel you know and then take a moment in silence 
or if you're journaling a lot, you're into you're into writing and faith sharing with people. Make sure you're also taking some quiet time to try to hear the Lord's response, um, you know, to your outpouring heart. But and all just be patient. You know, the Lord um, is whether we feel it, whatever wounds we have, is that unconditionally loving Father who's waiting for us and takes delight every time we come to Him in prayer. Um, you know, wherever it might be. Mm. Bueno. Oh, gosh, now I'm changing in Spanish. <laughs> really good. Really good stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, that was good. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, guys, for doing this with me. This has been great. Before we go, though, you know, Greg, I hear this rumor that you're coming out with another book. The rumors are true. It's true. Can you tell us a little bit about your new book? And how many yeah, copies I'm going to need uh, to buy to give them out to people? <laughs> all, all, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the book is called No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. Um, and uh, it, basically, basically it's, it's about the tension that we live in as, as followers of Jesus between uh, needing to find places in which to belong and people with whom to belong and and communities and ideas to commit ourselves to um while also recognizing that as followers of jesus we're really just aliens and strangers out of place we're just sort of passing through um so it's about how we how we live in that tension um and and so along the way you know i i wrestle with uh things that have been um that have made that conversation particularly tricky and challenging for me um, including things like what does it look like to belong as a single person? And what does it look like to belong as somebody who didn't grow up in America, but now lives here? And what does it look like to belong as somebody who's LGBTQ and Christian? And those things tend to uh, feel in conflict with each other at times. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, hopefully, well, I like the book, but I am admittedly biased on the subject. So you'll have to you'll have to read it and discover for yourself whether it is in fact a worthwhile read. I can't wait to read it. It sounds right up my alley. Um, so, it, and when does it come out? It comes out uh, in February, February twenty third. February twenty third. All right, we're saving uh, the date. Saving the date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and for both you guys, for everyone listening, if they want to find more about you or more stuff of you, uh, like from you, where can they find, uh, where, where can they find stuff or where can they find you on social media or on the web? Yeah. I mentioned, um, you know, my website up top, anthonyesser.com, which has kind of my photography and design stuff, but I also write for, um, or have written for, I'm not doing as much right this second, but have written for, um, a Catholic culture blog called the Holy Ruckus. They also have Ooh. a, yes, they're awesome. Please check them out. They have a blog. They also have a podcast. Um, they have a Spanish language companion. Um, yes. Social media. We love Spanish. Yes, El Santo Leo. So um, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, um, their website, theholyruckus.com. And they recently republished a personal essay I released on my website first, but you can go find it on the Holy Ruckus called, um, and just search on theholyruckus.com. Um, called Loved by God, by being B-I as in bisexual. Um, so that kind of gives a little bit more of my um, yeah. story of faith and sexuality. And then I kind of unpack that a little bit more too on their podcast. So if you kind of dig around on their podcast feed, which is everywhere yeah. you find podcasts, 
and or on look around their Facebook or website, um, you can hear me there and hear that essay. And, you know, if you find me, Anthony Esser on Facebook or reach out on my Facebook at facebook.com slash the Anthony Esser and, you know, feel free to, to connect. I always love to meet new people. That's one of my favorite things, honestly, about like releasing that essay and being a part of the side B community is connecting to other LGBT Christians and just sharing the journey with them. So I'd love to hear from you. So good. Mr. Greg, what about you? Where can people find stuff about, for you? You can uh, you can go to my website, uh, gregorycoles.com or gregcoles.com. They both go to the same place. Um, or I'm on Facebook. Uh, as of recently, I also have Twitter and Instagram. I signed up for Instagram accidentally, which was a really fun time. But then once I was there, I was like, might as well hang around. Um, I'm pretty sure if you Google me in you know, in any of these places or just, just go to Google, you'll either find me or you'll find Greg Cole's dance and drum. Um, so I'll just tell you up front, if you find me dancing and drumming, that's not me, but the other stuff probably is me. Oh yeah. Well, Hey, that's like when you Google me, it's either going to come up as me or a football player. And I promise you, it's not the football player you're looking for. <laughs> so I understand that. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, remember, if you love this, if you love this episode, review us wherever you listen, um, share it with friends. And if you want to hear more, we have our Patreon page where we do a monthly bonus episode. So go over there, join us there. And for everyone, remember, we have the Bee Chats event coming up November 14th. Um, it is going to be a really great time diving into more stuff that, um, that we, uh, have been talking about this, this, um, some, this season, we will talk about trans issues. We'll talk about coming out and we'll talk about relationships. And finally, I wanted to let everyone know, um, our very own Henry, um, has a GoFundMe page up. Um, for anyone who's been following our podcast and our social media knows that Henry was hospitalized um, a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And um, with the medical bills that have piled up on him, um, there has been a GoFundMe that has been set up. So if you are able to, um, the the link to it is going to be in the show notes of this episode. Um, please go over there and support him. He is amazing. He does so much great stuff. We love him. And um, so please go over there and share some love with him um, as he's working through all of the medical bills from everything that has happened. So anyway, with that, thank you, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.